This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Black Black, 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 What is up, everybody? My name is James D. Fiore, and this is Black Ball. If you have listened to this podcast at all over the last calendar year, you would know that we've had many people that have been members of the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church come and tell us about their experiences with the church and what it was like when they were excommunicated from the church. Today, we have something a little bit different. What if you are not a member of the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, a.k.a. the Plymouth Brethren, Brethren Christ, uh, Crazy Cult? Sorry, um, I hate it when I mix up the moniker that I've made up for them or when I stutter. The Plymouth Brethren Christian Church is also known as the Plymouth Brethren Crazy Cult. But what happens if you are not a member, but you are living in an area that is seen as one of the locality strongholds of the PBCC? And what is, what is it like when you not just butt heads with members who live where you live, but when worse things happen to you? And how can you find a way to live peacefully in a town like that when you are being victimized by members of this organization? Today, my guest is in a situation like that. She hails from Maple Creek. And she is not a member of the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. However, she is a person who has um, an unfortunate tale to tell regarding the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. And her name is Terry Smith. Terry. Hi. How's it going? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I should I should start this by saying that you appeared on the Get a Life podcast not too long ago, just a few days I think. Uh, the Get a Life podcast, for those who don't know, is a new podcast that was launched by um, Cheryl Hope and uh, Richard Marsh and Carmen Drever and Lane Admiral, um, and they're all ex members. They've all been on this show uh, most of them multiple times, all of them actually. And they started that podcast called the Get a Life Podcast in order to sort of help guide people that had left the church, but also to educate people about what this organization is like. And you appeared on there a few days ago and shared your story. And I was, you and I have known each other for months. Um, we have gone back and forth a few times. Um, you know, we were going to, we, we tried to have you on once in the tech there were tech issues, and then um, yeah. and then you had some stuff going on, so we, we didn't revisit it until recently. And I think it was today that I just texted you out of the blue and was like, do you want to do this now? Because I think maybe that energy is there. So um, 
before we get into anything, can you tell me about um, your upbringing, where you grew up, and what it was like? Oh, okay. Um, so I was born in Saskatoon, but we moved a lot um, before I was six. Uh, so we were like Saskatoon, Calgary, Moose Jaw, then ended up in Regina. And I grew up most of the time there. Um, yeah, so. And when, Catholic, how old were you when, you when you ended up in Maple Creek? Uh, so I would have been, would have been 2001. So like 31. Okay. Yeah. Um, what is the culture like in a town that is basically dominated by this organization? <sighs> When you're out in the community, for the most part, um, you pass each other in passing. Uh, for me, it was different. I would talk to them because I was, um, I had worked with them for so long. So for me, um, it was quite natural to just stop and talk. Uh, probably not as natural for other people. It wouldn't be, um, but, I mean, it is, they're the main employer. Mm -hmm. They're, um, well, they did up until I think just recently own um, some businesses downtown or one business downtown. I think it's just closed. Um, but it, it's changed. It's evolved over the years. Like when I first moved there, um, it was very much more separate um you wouldn't have seen so much i think kids were still homeschooled at that point um from i think grade five on something like that they were in the regular public school system up until grade four grade five and that okay. slowly dwindled down and then they when they built their own school okay. but yeah so it was separate um we didn't really have a whole lot to do with each other at that point okay and eventually, though, you did start to, your employer was a member of of the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's where right. do you want to begin this story then? Um, where, where, where should we begin? Where, where it makes the most sense? Oh, my God. Uh, the most sense? Where do no, we begin it where it makes the most sense as far as, because I'm trying to be delicate here too, right? Like I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm not trying to, I don't want to, don't I, I don't delicate. want you to feel at all cornered in this podcast at all. Oh, no. So I'm trying to make it a little no. bit open-ended, but I guess then yeah. what I would say no. is, yeah, you know, when did, the, when did the problems with members of this organization start for you? Okay, so probably um, when I first started there in 2000 and, uh, what did I say it was, 2003, um, it was very, it was very welcoming. It was kind of presented as a, a family business with a very family oriented culture. Um, yet back then it was Monday to Friday. Uh, there was no benefits, but it was, it was perfect for me as a mom. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was, it was not too bad. It was a little bit off. I was the only non-brethren member working for them. So uh, my breaks were separate. My meals were separate. Um, 
I ate in Arden's office. He was the uh, one of the co-owners at the time um, for my breaks and stuff like that. But back then, it was mostly female. Okay. Yeah, it was a lot of female, and uh, it was, was kind of like sorry, a girls' club almost. Oh, okay. What, what, was it explained to you specifically, like, we can't eat with you because you're not a member of the Brethren? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You go through three interviews um, okay. and they go through um, a little bit about uh, their religion. They don't go uh, all that much in depth. They do make, tell you right off the bat that you have to wear the skirt um, if you're a woman. And uh, that's gone now. I think that's been gone since about 2016 or something like that. But um, yeah, the skirt and stuff like that. They talk about it a little bit and they say, they say, well, you know, it's nothing against you. It's just our belief that we can't eat with you. It's not like we think we're any better than you. Um, it's, but they still made you wear the skirt. Yeah. Did they oh, buy yeah. it for you? I'm just curious. No, no. I, ha I had to get them actually from uh, Tim Bond's wife. She gave me my skirts. Really? Yeah, yeah, especially when I became pregnant because, I mean, where do you find maternity skirts for working, for lying on the floor in? Like, I mean, so. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so they came from uh, Tim Bond's wife. Okay. Were, yeah. Um, let's start with that, actually, just because I remember a piece of the podcast from the Get a Life podcast where mm -hmm. – um, just by requiring you to wear a brethren styled skirt actually mm -hmm. kind of made you unsafe dealing with hazardous chemicals that you were dealing with. Isn't that right? All the time. All the time. Yeah. Can you, can you yeah. expand on that? Um, well, I, later on, I worked in the spray booth, uh, managed the spray booth and I was working with xylene, benzene, um, all the zines <laughs> in a skirt and short sleeves and a respirator that uh, the straps actually were broken in the back. So I had to tie it so that it would fit and it kept slipping down my face. Um, I think I even put a picture of it on my podcast. Um, but yeah, so that's, and I was covered in it. It was on my face. It was on, it, yeah, it was, it was actually a joke there. And do you feel like, I mean, were, were the other workers forced to do the same thing or was it just you or did, is this the way no. that they treated all their employees? No, uh, the males had uh, coveralls. Oh, they didn't make the males wear the skirts, right? Okay. No, yeah. no. That would no. go against several things. That, I, that I, I did suggest it at one of the meetings. It didn't go. No. <laughs> you suggested that the men wear skirts. Why don't you wear a skirt, Johnny? Yeah, I did. That'd be fun. Okay. Um, earlier this year, when we did speak, um, as you know, before I have people come on here and make uh, claims of assault, I had asked them that they file a police report. Yes. Uh, which you did. I did. Can you tell me the details of that report, please? So the details of the report, uh, basically, uh, from probably about, I'm going to say 2000, and. 12 on when I had returned to cutting edge after um, I had been away for a few years. I um, 
Alan Drever, who uh, was working there at the time, um, started paying a lot of attention to me. I was now recently separated. Um, I wasn't married anymore before I was the married woman. Um, now I was the divorced woman. Um, and that alone is not a very, I guess. It's anti-brethren. You don't get divorced in the brethren, right? Yeah. So it was kind of like, that was kind of already. Um, so he started coming up to me in the spray booth. Um, he first came up to me and he would tell me jokes, really bad jokes. Um, a little bit sexist. Um, can't even remember the content, like just really high school kid jokes. And he's also pretty big, right? Like, don't they call him big Al? Big Al. Yeah. So he's like, well over six feet, well over six feet, big lad. Yeah. Yeah. Probably wearing overalls or some shit. You know? Um, he used to wear uh, these work pants and this striped uh, button-up shirt and suspenders. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. he's and so how big is the spray booth? What does the spray booth look like? Um, it wasn't very big. It was in two sections. So they had a, an actual proper um, spray booth that was enclosed. But then they had added on another area, kind of just, it was just plywall, uh, plywood. I think it went up in a day. Um, and that was where I did the staining and the spray staining and all of the prep work and sponge sanding and all the sanding and stuff like that. So that's where we did, I did all the prep and that kind of stuff. Um, any glazing, antiquing, whatever. And then the other part of the spray booth was where I did the actual um like lacquer primer stuff like that okay so it's in two sections but um when the one uh when the one section where i did the staining was closed off to the sanders because that could open up to the sanders when that part was closed off which it had to be uh when i was staining or dust would just fly everywhere in there um you had to go through uh a door right at the opposite end of the spray booth and it's soundproof in there and it's loud and you're wearing ear ear protection because it's super loud um so and my back is facing the door staining so al would come through there and come into the spray booth and nobody at this point can see him and put his hand on my back and whatever and you know slowly it got to would you like to be my special friend and it escalated from there um, and eventually turned into him following t- me to the grocery store, to the pharmacy. Uh, when I left work, he would follow me home, block me in my driveway. He'd knock at my door, ask if he could help me. If I took time off work for a doctor's appointment, he phoned, he followed me, waited outside and asked me where I was going. Um, I took a weekend off. I went camping with my boyfriend at the time. Um, I came back. He asked me where I was. I said I was camping. He said, you took your kids camping by yourself, a woman? And I said, no, actually, I left my kids at home. And I went with my boyfriend. And he said, I can't believe you're stepping out on me. I thought we, yeah. Um, and I that's where it my special friend. Like, what yes, the fuck? Exactly, Who says exactly. that? Exactly. Yeah. 
um, that kind of stuff. And it just, so it got to the point where if he was around, um, I made myself scarce. Um, yeah. Yeah. So this started in around 2012 and then it did escalate at certain points. Did mm-hmm. it not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, did. can you kind of go there a little bit? Um, it, it got to the point where, um, I was off work, um, on WCB for an injury from, from there. And my husband, I had remarried, uh, which I thought would end the stalking. Um, it did not. In fact, it seemed to almost, um, accelerate it. So I would be at home by myself during the day and my husband would go to work and Alan would wait for my husband to get to work. He would go over there, clap him on the back, say hello, ask him how his day is, and then walk out, drive to my place, and knock on the door. Um, my husband, at this point, started texting me when Alan would leave the building so that I knew he would come and I would hide in my room. Did Alan work? Uh, did your husband work at a brethren-owned business as well? Is that why? Yeah, yeah. The same one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, he. Yeah, he's Australian. So uh-huh. when he came over, I'm his sponsor. Um, he got a job at Cutting Edge, and they, yeah, they, um, helped me pay for the immigration process. Well, and I had to work it off for them. Okay. Yeah. So he's basically stalking you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 100%. And was that the main um, complaints that you put inside the police report? Was it mainly the stalking? That was for Alan. Okay. The second part of the police statement is against Alan's son, Garth. Okay. And that is sexual assault. Can you tell me what happened there? Um, so right around the same time that Alan had announced that we were special friends, Garth started, um, hitting on me, I guess is the best way to say it. He started out with, um, cause they have, they had cell phones at this point, but they couldn't text. They could only email cause they were monitored, um, couldn't get onto certain sites. So he asked me if my phone was able to get porn. And I said, yep, it gets it all. And just being cheeky. And I said, yeah, it's a phone. And he was like, well, would you like to watch it with me sometime and show me some? And I was like, you know, not even a little bit. Yeah. Like these guys are really smooth, by the way. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. My special friend, like, you know, can we watch porn together? Like, these are not things that people normally say to other people. No, right? no. Like, um, you know. So it's like, no. So I was like, okay, this is creepy. Um, and he had always been creepy, but this had crossed the line a little bit. So yeah. then I was in the spray booth the one day and I had already had an altercation with Alan and Garth came in. And he was the one because he was very tall. He's taller than it's at, I believe. Um, and I'm four foot ten and a half. 
and all of the panels and doors, a lot of them are on racks that are six feet high and I have to get them on there while they're wet and they're mm -hmm. big island panels and stuff. So I was to ask Garth. Garth was my helper. Um, Garth came in to help and he pushed me up against the spray booth wall and groped me and I cannot remember if he kissed me or not. Um, I said that it was a long time ago. And he said something to the effect of his cousins had come up for a visit and had brought a magazine with pictures of naked men and women lying down together. And he wanted to know if I would lie down naked with him. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. And... And I was pinned against the wall and I ran out of there, ran to the bathroom, um, got myself collected. I finished out the work day. Wow. Um, I went home and that's when I phoned my friend who was an ex-brethren member and asked her what would happen if I pressed charges against a brother member for sexual assault. I think I, I don't have it, but I think I saw that text. Me it was a text message exchange, wasn't it? It was Messenger. Messenger. It was sorry. over Messenger. And, yeah. And she she didn't really. Um, maybe I shouldn't uh, try to try to recall this. What, what was her reaction? and What did she say to you? Um, in a nutshell, she was like, well, you know, you're going to lose your job, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, she's like, well, she couldn't say for sure. But because I asked her, I was like, I'm going to be shit in this town. Like, right. Like they're going to destroy me. And she said, yeah, well, you know, it's probably. likely yeah. probably, but she said she would make some phone calls for me and she would call me later. So that's what she did. And so and was that the last day that you worked there? No, I went back to work. Wow. I kept working. That was, no, I worked Right up until, uh, well, it depends. I, whenever I'd piss them off, they would lay me off. <laughs> um, and then, uh, of course, make sure you didn't get benefits because they would tell you you were laid off, but then they would submit the electronic ROE as quit or terminated because uh, they don't like confrontation. So they never told you you were fired. They just told you you were laid off. And they gave you a handshake and a smile. And then you went to apply and you couldn't get any benefits. And then when they needed you again and you had, I guess, repented enough, um, then they brought you back. Or in my case, they brought me back. And I think I got probably let go four times over the years. And brought so back. that would be like Shunny. one of the things that they would try to use to say mm -hmm. that you're lying, right? Mm-hmm. And so when was the last time you worked for them? What was the last, like, what year was it? 
just pre-COVID, just. So 2019, yeah. something like yeah. that? Yeah. Okay. And you filed the January. police report earlier this year, I think mm -hmm. in June or something like that? Yeah. And what has the blowback been since you filed the report and then maybe since you did the podcast with Get a, with the Get a Life crew, <clears throat> excuse me, a few days ago? Um. The blowback, I mean, I've kind of, I went through some health stuff, not going to lie. Uh, this whole thing threw me into a health spiral. Mm -hmm. um, I've been in and out of eating disorder treatment since May and hospital, um, waiting for a bed again. Um, and basically just trying to feel safe. Because I live two doors down from the compound. Oh, wow. I, Alan lives behind me two blocks. Um, they pass by my house every day. I don't leave my house. I don't leave my room. Um, if I do go anywhere, I leave town. And I usually try to leave very early so no one sees me and come back very late so nobody knows. I don't ever drive in the same car. I never tell anybody where I'm going and I'm coach surf, just coach surf. You must feel surrounded. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, I think it's Cheryl, but um, she's prompting me to ask you, and I think it's a good question. What eventually got you fired for the last time? So, um, so I'm going to try and say this without sharing the victim's story. Um, so there was a, an incident at Cutting Edge where one employee sexually assaulted basically but actually um another employee in front of another female staff member and i and some other guys um and was pointing and laughing and this person and, the victim was special needs were they not yes yeah um and i got really angry um i told him to go wait in my car the victim yeah mm -hmm. and i went into the front office and i lost it i screamed at the receptionist what had happened i said that i wanted the police called that i wanted it handled immediately that as far as i was concerned that person in um was no longer my supervisor and I would no longer take orders from that person. Um, they said, oh yes, this is awful. This can't happen. I can't believe it'll be handled. I promise you. And of course I believe none of that. Um, and then went and talked to the victim and the victim uh, told me that it happened the day before as well. Can we stop um, right there? I just want people to understand what we're talking about here. You worked with a person who has special needs, a man, a grown man, I believe, right? And the people at this place of employment that you worked at, Cutting Edge, what did they do to this person specifically? Uh, they pulled down his pants and underwear. Yeah. In front of us. And and he's special needs. Like he's he, like I don't yeah. know what that means exactly, but like you know he's he's you know. Um, yeah. has the mental capacity of a person much younger, I believe, is basically it, right? Mm -hmm. 
and and this is the kind of thing that they allegedly did uh, you know in front of you they they pulled down this special needs person's pants and then mocked him and laughed at him what was his reaction shame fear um he just kind of stood there and looked down um he wouldn't he wouldn't walk past the front area anymore he stayed towards the back and if he did he came to find me and he stayed with me um yeah so over the next couple of days i kept checking with him to see if anything had been said to him anything had been done no 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 um i was every time my supervisor would bring me something or send something back i'd say no I'm not doing that. I'm not taking orders from you. And that didn't fly very well. So I think at one point I got called into the office and they talked about my production um, slipping. Um, so then when nothing happened, I phoned Occupational Health and Safety and I told them what happened and they had set up a meeting of telephone meeting with the three of us and were set to go ahead with an investigation but the victim did not want to hurt their feelings because they're oh, his friends and so my hands were tied so they told us that if and when this situation came up again the victim was to immediately come get me I would get him to a safe location. I would call the police. I would call directly to the supervisor. And I would drive him to the police station. Uh, so that was set up. Um, wasn't feeling all that great about it. So Did went it back happen again? Not that I know of. Okay. But I was let go about I'm not sure the time frame I haven't looked at the emails it's been a long time maybe a week I can't remember I sent another email to the occupational health and safety person and said that I had been let go and that I was no longer there to protect the victim and that I was worried for the victim's safety inside uh, they sent back a thing saying that it was very suspicious that I had been let go after this incident and that they were going to investigate they set up a meeting, a storm hit, I got scared. My husband was still working there. We were still going through the immigration process. And I just went home and I. It's an easy thing to, to imagine that special needs victim defending them afterwards. Like it's so easy for me to imagine him not wanting to to hurt the feelings of the people that just tormented him like it's just it's incredibly sad yeah. you know yeah and um, i my children my children are special needs yeah um so it just absolutely blows my mind the lack of humanity like there's just total lack of yeah 
conscience, ethics, morals. Has anything actually um, that you know of been done as far as the investigation goes against Gareth? Is it Garth or uh, Gareth? Sorry. Garth. It's Garth. Um, oh, sorry. I'm told that it's moving along. I haven't heard anything lately. Um, I did have a talk with the lead investigator and he has told me, um, everybody has told me that uh, Maple Creek can never be home for me, that I need to not be here. I'm sorry, the but, lead investigator said that to you? Mm -hmm. What was his reason? What did he say? For as much my mental health mm. as my physical. That's a tacit way of saying these people are are not good people <laughs> you know what i mean and, like, and, and he said they're not going away so you're right. going to have to Do, have you heard anything about um like the the police that actually work in maple creek mm -hmm. are they like brethren friendlies are they personal buddies are they cousins like do you know of any kind of i'm not trying to get you in trouble with the police i'm just trying to figure yeah. out how the whole kind of family tree works in that town um i think typically um most all instance i've i've never heard of an incident in maple creek that's for a brethren member that's gone court much hmm. uh like i haven't ever heard of anything um i it's same thing as has always been done with us it's always dealt with by the church it's left in the church's hands and they have they have a lot of money here they have a lot of um so influence yeah has quietly but it's you know has coming out helped you at all, or has it made things worse for you? <laughs> and, it ha and, and, and and before you answer that, how do you measure that? Because I know that it, it, it's certainly, and I feel kind of partially responsible for this, so I do apologize, because I know that, you know, I, I know that there, there is blowback that that is stressful to your mental health. Oh, yeah. Is there a counterbalance to that that makes you feel like a weight has been lifted, or how, do, how does all that work for you? It's coming in waves, stages. Um, I've kind of lived in kind of trauma mode, survival mode most of my life. So, uh, but this, this is like, there isn't a word for this. Like, this is on a different level. Yeah. Like, I, I, when I went to hospital, I actually, when I, stated that this was a huge part of my anxiety this whole case they asked me um how long i had been having hallucinations and if i had ever been diagnosed schizophrenic and that is the answer i get every single time i have to be crazy like, how do, you, like, how, like how do you i don't know no please go ahead how do you even describe this? Like, like, like I was, the, it's I like, was in a cult, but I wasn't in a cult, but I left the cult that I wasn't in. And now I can't go home. Like, yeah. 
Are you still married? Yeah. Yeah. And how is your husband with all this? So this is kind of funny. The day that they fired me the last time, and it was a firing severance package took me to the door. Um, they then, um, they allowed me, they allowed me to go clear out my locker and to go tell my husband that I'd been fired. So I went back and told my husband and I was mad and I was crying and I was like, and I knew this was going to happen. I told him this was going to happen. But, um, so I told him and then he's like, do you need me to come home? And I was like, I don't think that would be smart right now. I just need keys. So I left and Tim went back to him, puts his arm around him and claps him on the back and says, Hey, how are you doing with all this? You do, you doing okay. Wow. And then gives him a fist bump to the shoulder and walked off or started to walk off. And my husband said, you, it would be very, very, very wise of you to walk away from me right now because I have very little respect for you right now. And I just, I, I can't even look at you. So he just smiled and walked away. Wow. And (laughs) does your husband still work there? No. Okay. No, we did. We, no, no, I, I, I don't know if I would have come forward the same if my husband was still working there, but no, he's not. Is it difficult to get a job in Maple Creek without it being a job that puts you in the employment of a brethren member? Uh, jobs here are few and far between. Um, yeah. I mean, we have, it's, it's a small town. It's 2,500 people. We have local stores. Uh, mm-hmm. They employ a couple people. Um, Tim Hortons just opened up. We've had a Tim Hortons for about a month. Um, we have a grocery store. Yeah. Like there's not a lot. And then you have their factory. And at one point they had several factories. I actually was employed by another one of their factories at one point. Very, very briefly. Um, welding. Um, but yeah. So then they have some implement places. Um, so it's mostly like there's, there's a lot of brethren business and a lot of houses are owned by them. And then they've got the school. So yeah, it's pretty, any plans on moving, (laughs) you know, (laughs) well, you know, (laughs) um, absolutely every second of every day. Um, just trying to, it's not that easy to just pick up and move after 20 some years. My husband, our, like we don't have any money we worked for brethren we don't have a whole lot of savings we don't have like my son is buried here um like where do you go like how do you just pick a city and go i just don't know how to do that and I, i it's been it's been too much to just think about moving it's been literally trying to tick one thing off the list at a time of the mountain of shit <laughs> yeah. so that I could just get to the point where I can move. So, yeah, because it must be re-traumatizing every time you open your door, 
right? Like you, you walk outside, you could run into the person who assaulted you. You could run into the people that you saw mock and mas- assault a person with special needs. You have all these reminders. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, let's face it, in a town that is comprised largely of people who are members of a group that where misogyny is part of the cultural fabric, right? Oh. Oh, sexism it is, 100%. and misogyny, yeah, and it's it's their it's their moral code. It's like their whole pillar of belief. It's like, yeah, it's it's what they're based on, really. Yeah. Um. First of all, before I forget to say it, um, you're really brave, and I know that sometimes you don't feel it. No. I know that sometimes you you probably feel more stress th- than anything else. But yep. I have spoken with you several times. We have spent hours collectively on the phone, uh, you know, and I'm I'm watching you right now, and I am taken aback by the strength that comes out. And I got to say this because the reason why I say this to to people that have been in your seat on this show is because I don't want people to think, and I don't think the audience thinks this anyways, but I especially want you to understand that we do not look at you speaking right now and think to ourselves, oh, this poor woman is just so, just beaten down and weak. <laughs> it is the complete opposite. And I know that you may not feel that way, but it yeah, what yeah. emanates from yourself and from Cheryl and from Lane, when you guys are on the show for the first time, speaking the way that you're speaking, is strength. And I'm not sure if you're aware of that or not, but I think you need to be. Thank you. It doesn't, yeah, no. I probably feel the weakest I've ever been in my entire life. I know. And maybe it's because <laughs> so much strength is emanating out of you that it makes you feel kind of empty. But but really, I, I think that you are doing something that is remarkable um, and unfair. And I think that um, everyone that's listening to you understands that, you know, that you are clearly a person who's been victimized um, and, and for a long time. You know, the, the psychological um, trauma that these members probably experience in a certain way is contagious, it looks like. Like, it, mm-hmm. they, they pass it on to people like yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, this, like, um, this, I could be, like, you were a 30-something-year-old person and someone is saying this, a sentence to you, I could be your special friend. Yeah. Is is one of the most psychotic things I've ever heard of. You know, maybe we can watch porn together. Like yeah, it, it is like, in, I you know, that is Stephen King level creepy, right? And yeah. you know, um I, I wish I had some sort of advice <laughs> to give you, but but I really <laughs> you know, I really don't. Um and I'm just flying by the seat of my pants, literally. I know that. I know that. Is <laughs> You know, have you had a chance to connect with um, with anybody in person, like like Cheryl or other people that have? Uh, no, no, we have not met in person. No, you guys live yeah. in the same area, though, right? Uh, I think we live. Like I don't even know. Yeah, six but... hours apart. Cheryl oh, okay, my bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, where do you go from here? Like, where does a person go from here? I mean, it feels like you don't know the answer to that, and I don't blame you. I have no idea because I have no idea where this is going. Um, Cheryl wants me to ask you about the air horns and catcalling. Oh, yeah. The air horns and catcalling. So, 
at some point we had a we had a motivational uh, staff meeting. It was to boost morale and um, build the team atmosphere and get our numbers up, build our our quantity as it always was. So we had this little award ceremony and it was a jokey award ceremony and they gave out different prizes to everybody. Um, I got sunscreen and something else, a little mini bottle of self tanning spray or something. So that, cause we used to joke about, because I spent so much time working in the spray booth, I never saw the sun. So the only color was the freckles from the stain on my face. So they gave me stain to like even out the color. Oh, um, so yeah. yeah, so we used to have uh, teenaged uh, girls that would bring the water cooler jugs. They would switch them, and one of the employees had apparently a crush. So they announced it at the meeting and thought it was that every time she came in, he blushed. And she was like, "I'm she's fifteen." Um, and so How old was the guy that had the crush 30s um so they gave just him casual in the pedophilia meeting. around the office you know no big you deal know. so they gave him in the meeting they gave him an air horn so that he could blow they could blow the air horn um every time she came in and so every time she would come in and eventually evolved we went through several water girls all teenagers um but it evolved to women coming in if women came in, attractive women uh, walked by them, um, they would um, blare they would, the air they horn. Would sound an air horn anytime an attractive woman came in. But and every time we walked, anytime we walked by the main supervisors, they they blew the air horn, and they would cat all all the male employees would cat call and whistle and hoop and holler until the woman would go away sounds to me like it's just a place full of studs like what the fuck yeah. <laughs> and there were there were at that point two women working in the shop i believe there were two of us other than the women the in the front office which yeah that's like an arrested development from the age that you're at when you kick a girl in the shin and run away because you're like five mm -hmm. you know oh i like andrea I'm going to run up to her and pull her pigtail and run. Yeah. It's the same shit. Yeah. It's just that these are men doing it. And, mm -hmm. But that's what happens when those boys don't know any better and they grow. I'm sorry, but when those boys only know that and then boys they grow up. Boys and, culture. It's a little boy culture though, right? Like yeah. it's, it's not even like an adult culture. These are mm -hmm. little kids in adult bodies. Yep. Bugging the girls that they find attractive. Pulling their pigtails and. Yeah. Pushing them down in the playground. That's right. Yeah. No one's laying down jackets when you walk over a puddle in that fucking town, right? Oh, no. They're jumping in the puddle to spray you with some mud. And oh, yeah. Laugh. Oh, yeah. Kick you when you're down. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, we we have to we have to wrap soon because there's yeah. another show coming yeah. up. But um, I feel like I could talk to you for hours. But at the same time, I kind of want to let you go so that you don't have to talk about this at all anymore. Um, I, I I'm hopeful that something comes out of the police report. I, I'm hopeful yeah. that that there is some sort of appetite among law enforcement in Saskatchewan 
And Saskatchewan, you don't look really good right now. With all of the stuff happening with these other schools and these lawsuits, these Christian academies, the Legacy Academy, for example, I talked to Caitlin Erickson on this show about what she's gone through with that. Um, yes. I've obviously talked to Cheryl and yourself. Um, that province needs to get its act together, I think is oh. like a very mild way of putting it. Yeah, there seems to be an incestuous. Yeah, there seems to be an incestuous relationship between cops and the brethren, in the sense that they're friendly enough to be like, ah, don't worry about a thing there, you know, Alan or Garth, you know, well, yeah, it'll blow over, and that's my impersonation of a Saskatchewan cop, right? So, yeah. Um, but whatever happens, I want you to know that um, that you can call me anytime you want. Um, and, and you, if there's anything that I can possibly do to help you, um, let me know. Uh, we'll, Thanks. you know, and we'll have you on again whenever you want to come back on and please, uh, yeah. And if any, if anything continues to happen, I know that you don't really want to talk about it, so we won't go into details, but you had an incident like last night. Yeah. Um, it's starting to not starting to, but the, but the way that the, the blowback is manifesting is becoming a little bit more personal, correct? So, um, I, I wish you well. Um, I hope, like I said, if there's anything that we can do, thank you for your bravery and thank you for coming today. <laughs> and uh, and we'll talk soon, okay, Terry? Okay, thanks. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Wow. Um, she's not a member of the of the church, and um, I think that probably makes uh, the target on her a little bit more appetizing to these predators and these people that are that had abused her and, and that I guess I would say continue to psychologically um, traumatize her by, by just existing the way that they exist in that town and like where she's situated and how close these people are to her. Um, wow. It's, it's funny when you read Terry's story on paper, it might not seem like a, a massive deal, but when you hear her talk about it and you get into the innards and the specifics, you realize just how traumatizing and insane and it is and, and how emotionally it must be just impossible to, to sort of cope. And so, um, yeah, uh, so Terry, listen, like we salute your bravery and and we'll, and we'll have her back anytime. So, um I might give her a call when the podcast is over just to see how she's doing. Uh, tomorrow on the show, we have a, 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 a woman by the name of Terry Masensky. Uh, she is a personal friend of mine, but she is also really interesting because she is a person who did all the right things. She went to law school. She was called to the bar. She ended up becoming a family attorney working at a firm in Toronto. And then, um, and I might, uh, well, I'm just going to it, it might not be exactly like this, literally like this, but she had an ayahuasca trip and now she is a, um, not a lawyer anymore. She just turned her back on law and she is doing something completely different now where she is, she's counseling people. Um, and, and in a way that is so unique that I will let her explain it, but she's, she's a remarkable woman. She's spiritually intelligent. Um, and, uh, I can't wait to have her on. So she'll be on tomorrow at seven we have a couple other announcements that we're gonna that we're gonna uh, work on um, between now and tomorrow that I'll announce as well. Big thank you again uh, to Terry Smith. Um, I know it wasn't easy, and so we will see you next time on Black Ball. Thank you, everybody. 
Listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback.